millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Helen Scales, marine biologist and a writer. And I'm Shay Rhodes. I'm a journalist and filmmaker. And this is Earth Unscrewed. This living planet of ours is just jaw-droppingly amazing. And we're not exactly taking care of it, are we? We've got oceans full of plastic, species dying out at a phenomenal rate, whole ecosystems being destroyed as we speak. Our daily lives are affecting this incredible place. And I guess the big question is, well, is it too late? We're going to find out a bit more about sustainable projects which could fix the problems. And hopefully unscrew the planet. Hello. Hello and welcome to Earth Unscrewed. This is the last episode of the series. But we'll be talking big. We're talking water. Yeah, it covers 70% of our planet. And it makes up about 60% of our bodies. We need it to keep hydrated, clean and healthy. And it's a basic human right. But so many of us don't have access to it. We spoke to Christoph Gorder from Charity Water to get the lowdown. I actually grew up in the developing world, and we grew up in the Central African Republic and in Nigeria. And as a child, you know, there's always stress around clean water. We had a a hand dug well in the backyard, and then we had a filtration device in the house. And so, you know, as a young child, I just remember, you know, it was always really strictly prohibited to drink any water at any of the neighbors' houses. I had to be really, really careful about the water that, that I drank as a kid. So I grew up, you know, really conscious of how important clean water was for our health and my health, my family's health, and, and my neighbor's health. We left the Central African Republic when I was eight years old, moved to Nigeria, and I never went back. It was a small village in the middle of nowhere, and never figured I would have the chance to go back. It turns out Charity Water uh, supports projects there, and I went back there a couple months ago for the very first time since I left in 1980. So it's 40 years later, I've grown up, I have a family. I didn't know what I was gonna run into, you know, what, what things would be like there, and it was an amazing experience. I showed up in town, went to my old house, I went to my nursery school, and I was there probably a half hour when my best friend from when I was growing up, from when I was eight years old, comes running down the street to find me. It was very emotional. He had just so many questions. I had so many questions, you know, where you been? What have you been doing? How are your sisters? How are your parents? Uh, and it was really an amazing thing to be able to see. But at the same time, it was very sad. His life and my life have turned out very differently, mostly because of where we were born. And he's one of the 50% of the country who don't have access to clean water. For those of us who are lucky enough to live in uh, developed countries, you know, we just take water for granted. It's never a source of stress for us. There's a glass of water whenever you want it. There's usually a clean toilet somewhere nearby. 
you know, these daily activities that we just do without even thinking become hugely burdensome tasks for these people. They're, you know, finding enough water to bathe with or wash their clothes with. The water that they're drinking is dirty. It tastes bad. They know it's making them unhealthy. And so water becomes an enormous stressor for families, both in terms of their health and their time and the burden of going to fetch it. Climate change is making things more complicated. So climate change is real and it's affecting billions of people around the world. It certainly affects their access to water. You're seeing it play out in a couple different ways. One is uh, water tables are lowering. And so that means wells that were really productive a few years ago might be dry today. With the rise in sea levels, also you're seeing salinity come further inland. So in places like Bangladesh, uh, you're seeing water tables that used to be pure now have salt in them. The water's not good to drink and it's not good to, to use for household purposes. So, you know, we're definitely seeing the, the scarcity of water, but then also the contamination of water affected by global climate change. It's real and it's something we need to face head on. Around the world, nearly one in 10 people don't have access to clean water. As an organization, we've chosen to serve rural communities around the world. And the reason we've done that is that eight out of nine people who don't have access to clean water live in rural communities. The second reason is that for people living in urban communities, it's often where the governments, local governments, are investing their limited resources. It's where the population is concentrated. It's where they can get uh, international funding for sort of municipal projects. And the rural areas are really left as a last priority because they're difficult to reach. They're small populations, and you know we know from experience that there's a lot less support going to rural communities than urban ones. Charity Water works across Africa and Southeast Asia in rural communities, providing access to clean and safe drinking water. The communities we serve are extremely diverse, as are the topographies and the needs. And so in each country, the technology and the solution tends to be a little bit different. Our job is to really understand what the needs are, what the culture is, what the appropriate solution is, and then to implement that so we can serve the people in the best possible way. We do see a, you know, a fair amount of communities where a water project has been built and it has failed for some reason. It's failed because the water table has dropped because of climate change. It's failed because the proper management systems weren't put in place and the community somehow ran into a problem that was greater than their ability to solve. And in those communities, we'll be working to rehabilitate the water system that's there and help the community develop the skills to manage it. As Christoph explained, water is absolutely fundamental to us humans. Without it, we're screwed. And the issue doesn't only affect rural communities who don't have access to Maine's water. It's also a huge issue in cities. We got on the line to Wesley Noble. He's the head of a project at Virgin Active in Cape Town, South Africa, called Changing Business for Good. In Cape Town, the term water crisis has become all too familiar. The city of Cape Town was declared to be the first city that would ever run out of water. 
and both taps and toilets would run dry. The Western Cape has been in the grips of an intense drought and the drinking water supply is still under severe threat, suffering from the worst drought in more than 100 years. So some are blaming poor management of infrastructure and lack of investment in preventative maintenance for that infrastructure. But, you know, I also believe that the rising atmospheric temperatures due to global warming has affected our rainfall and changing weather patterns, particularly in the Western Cape. You know, this, along with unconscious behaviour of consumers in the Western Cape, have caused the, our water storage to drop significantly faster than it has before. In general, in the past, consumers haven't been very conscious of their water consumption. Most of the, the residents of Cape Town have swimming pools, hot tubs, and wouldn't consider, you know, where that water comes from or that, you know, water is not a limited resource. So there was a state of panic, I think, but, um, you know, residents in Cape Town specifically have, you know, just taken every opportunity to conserve every drop from reusing water, from showering, showering in a bucket and reusing that to flush toilets and reusing their water to, you know, do their washing has become the norm, you know, not washing your vehicles, not irrigating. Businesses have really stepped up and come forward, you know, and I think through collective action, managed to play a large role in one, educating sort of their work, their employees, and two, educating their, their customers and their, and their members. Virgin Active South Africa raised the challenge by instituting operational efficiencies and making some infrastructural changes. Now, our efforts have rewarded us with a 67% drop in municipal water use since our pre-drought baseline. Surviving the drought and reducing our water consumption has required a collective effort, and we've called on our members to use water as sparingly in our clubs as possible and as they would do in their homes. So we've instituted a number of temporary saving measures, but a lot of permanent things going forward as well. You know, things like the power shower where aerated shower heads, dropping our water consumption from 16 litres a minute to four and a half litres a minute, which is at least a 72% reduction. If members use that sparingly and then stick to a two minute or even a minute shower, they're really being conscious and assisting us in conserving our water resource. Water can no longer be a single use resource we've had to consider how we reduce and reuse every water in every way possible. You know, personally, I think you just begin to understand how much we actually rely on water. So water shortage is something we should all be thinking about, whether we live in remote communities or capital cities. Water touches every aspect of life, and so when a community gets clean water, it really changes so much about their life. We know from the statistics, from looking at, say, data from local clinics, that there is significant reduction in disease. The changes out there, you'll find people immediately consuming a lot more water because it's a lot closer to them. And this means that, you know, young girls, for example, who uh, would have been spending hours going to fetch water and not going to school can now go to school. It, it has all sorts of implications. The indications are, in the environments we're working, one pound invested in water and sanitation programs will give an economic return of four to 12 pounds of economic benefit to the community in uh, saved time, reduced medical bills, and then increased education.
I mean, access to clean water is fundamental to human life and human development and therefore should be considered basic human right. Um, without water, it can cause great devastation across the population. And so it should be guaranteed to all people, regardless of their conditions, economic conditions, religious conditions, everybody should have access to clean, safe drinking water. There's this enormous global problem, and there are solutions to this problem. So unlike many of the world's problems, this problem has a solution, and we 100% know how to fix it. Uh, and everybody agrees that everybody should have access to clean water. There isn't a lot of debate about that. So our biggest challenge is how do we get the resources together to implement the solutions for this problem that we know how to solve? That would be our biggest challenge. But why is this happening? Why is the planet experiencing these water shortages? Well, in the episode we did about farming, we learned how natural water cycles have been broken by deforestation and intensive agriculture. In fact, agriculture uses 70% of the world's fresh water, but wastes the majority of this on inefficient usage and poor management. And the increasingly erratic weather patterns caused by climate change are seeing some areas flooded, while others are in drought. And there's more to the issue than water scarcity. I was actually in Sierra Leone straight after they had a landslide. And as you can imagine, there was no problem with water. The problem there was human waste in the water, which contaminate freshwater sources and make it unsafe to drink. A couple of years ago, I visited a little island in the Pacific where there had apparently been a drought over that summer. And this was two years ago. And the impact I saw actually was on ecosystems. Weirdly enough, there are these lakes in the islands that are filled with jellyfish. And I was really hoping to see these jellyfish. But they had all gone. And apparently it was linked to the low water levels and the higher temperatures that summer that they disappeared. Hopefully they'll come back. But there were no jellyfish for me to swim with that year. Yeah, and obviously there's massive human impacts as well. In Somalia, I noticed that basically the whole of the capital city, Mogadishu, is surrounded by this ring of refugee camps. There's been a drought for the last two years, pretty much, and all these people can no longer live in the country, so they're all moving to the city, and it's causing a huge amount of problems, as you can imagine. That's extraordinary. So it really is drought that's moving people across the whole country. 100%. I mean, you speak to people and they say, because there's a drought, I'm here. It's not even, there's not even a, any other explanation for it. There's actually a term for it, climate refugees, they're calling them. Yeah, and I, mean, I guess I associate that term more with maybe people living on small islands that are getting flooded because of sea level rise or the soil is becoming salinised of, again because of sea level rise. But this is exactly the same issue, but you know, spun around a different way. Water, not too much water, but not enough mm. water, still pushing people around and causing these, these huge migrations. Gosh. It's extraordinary. And we, we get so used to having a tap with water coming out of it when it doesn't happen. I mean, I've only experienced that in a few countries. Sometimes when I've been in Madagascar, you just don't know when the water's going to come out of the tap or not. And you have a very different attitude towards everything, the use of it, when you, you're just not sure if it's going to come out. You're going to have a cup of tea that day or be able to have a shower or flush the loo. And as we heard in the episode we did about farming, things like chemicals and fertilisers can all contaminate fresh water sources. And another issue, well, it's us, isn't it? Our species is increasing its population year by year. And while it does have a plus sign, that means there's more heads and brains on the case when it comes to finding solutions to our problems. Two heads, I guess, is better than one and all that sort of stuff. 
But the downside is that while there are more and more of us and more and more people wanting and needing to consume more resources, more water, more food, the planet's resources really are finite. Well, let's get back to solutions to our problems. There are some incredible people out there who are making impressive headway into the issues of water. From Charity Water, working to provide clean drinking water to rural communities, to South African businesses striving to reduce their water consumption in metropolitan areas. And there are loads more innovators on the case. One interesting recent example was uh, Procter & Gamble, great big company in charge of making loads of stuff in our daily lives, loads of products, shampoos, all sorts of things. But they've got a new project underway in China where a lot of their stuff is made. Apparently at a factory where things like Head & Shoulders and Pantene and Vidal Sassoon, if you use any of those things, this could be where it comes from. A big factory in China where they've got a new sustainable strategy. And a lot of that focus is on how they use water, which is kind of interesting, actually. Mm. But yeah, this is actually in a really water-stressed area near Shanghai. So apparently they are aiming to reach... 95% 95% water reuse That's amazing. within the factory. And again, it's sort of thinking, well, I guess that means they're just not flushing dirty water down the drain, but yeah. finding ways of cleaning it, Filter it and filtering it. it. They're talking about these wetland areas by this factory. They call it a Chinese water garden, which people actually come and hang out at. It sounds quite nice, a sort of nice cool. feature. But at the same time, I think that's helping to clean up the water. Mm-hmm. That's impressive. I remember ages ago hearing about a Schweppes bottle washing plant. So, you know, you, in a bar, you get the glass bottles of Coke and things like that. They go back to a factory where they're washed out and reused. And they had a competition for all the workers to figure out how they could reduce the amount of water they use. To wash the bottles out so they could be reused. Exactly. Right. And the guy who won the competition worked, you know, on the actual line. And he watched really closely how the nozzle that pumps the water into the bottle was a little bit too big. So a lot of the water, and they actually found it was something like 40 to 50%, was actually going on the outside of the bottle, not on the inside. By simply reducing the nozzle size, they reduced their spend on... And it's hot water as well, so they have to heat it up. They reduced their spend massively. And the best bit about this competition is that he got a percentage of what they saved. That is so great. I love it. That's so great. I mean, it makes perfect sense. Ask the people who are using these things and watching it and Mm. going... Well, it's clearly obvious to me, we're wasting all this water. Exactly, and it didn't really occur to him or matter to him until someone from, you know, the management went, gosh, we're spending a lot on hot water. And he went, well, yeah, because <laughs> the nozzle's uh-huh. too big. Obviously. Just look at it. Oh, <laughs> it's you're in the me. office, you don't get to see it. <laughs> That's so cool. And I guess the thing that I think is really cool about... Things like Procter & Gamble coming up with this Chinese water garden idea, you know, reusing water, is that this is one place, but for a company like P&G, they're huge, you know, and if they can roll this out or show that it works, mm-hmm. or if the Schweppes guys can show, hey, you're going to save a whole load of money yeah. by changing your nozzle size, mm. then hopefully other people will do too. So it's Well, it of... becomes an industry standard, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. you just have to, every person producing, you know, shampoos expects it to cost less or to use less water. Yeah, I mean, the interesting point, again, with the P&G case study was apparently up front they weren't necessarily saving much money on this. So I guess this was a different case to the the bottle washing one. Mm. So it was really coming more from a sort of corporate social responsibility, environmental responsibility side of things they wanted. They really wanted to make a change. And I guess they're also looking ahead at, you know, we are going to have increasing problems with water supply. So hopefully they're fixing this before it really becomes a kind of deal breaker. Exactly. In a water stressed area, you can imagine everyone turning on the local factory when it really becomes a big deal. Yeah. 
So that's it for this episode of Earth Unscrewed. And that's it for the season. No way, you can't believe it. Well, so what have been your highlights, Shay? I'm glad you asked me that, Helen, because I get to say it before inevitably you do. For me, it has to be pineapple leather. <laughs> oh, man. Like, you can make leather out of pineapples <laughs> and it works really well. And those shoes were so pretty, I weren't they? They were really nice. <laughs> It's not necessarily just circular thinking, but more that the whole thing is like this web that is forming between people and ideas and products and all those kinds of things. And I feel like we kind of did that with the series too, that there yeah. are these little connections that we've made yeah. between the different episodes. We keep on saying, oh, yeah, well, we oh, did and this. And that guy does this yeah. and he does that. And yeah. I, I, do you know what? We should probably have a big party and get everyone together and we end up <laughs> inventing a whole new <laughs> raft of social enterprises and, and environmental businesses. But yeah, um, it's been fascinating. In fact, some of our contributors have been put in touch. The guys from Nori with their blockchains uh, and Seawater Greenhouse, quite interested in each other. Going to have a little meeting and see what oh, they can come up like with. Oh, it's like dating for really oh, awesome no. people who are saving the planet. Maybe I should, love it. Maybe we should change it to Earth Match or something. <laughs> <laughs> I also really enjoyed meeting a few of those people out there who are really getting to the bottom of the problems. Like we met Melinda Watson, who was going off to South America. And I can't wait to hear what she's going to find out with the Raw Foundation about looking for plastic waste and figuring out which companies are producing all the stuff that ends up in the rivers and in the ecosystems, you know. And so I think, again, again, I think that showed me that there's still so much we need to learn and find out. And there's amazing people like her who are going out there and finding it and then feeding it into mm-hmm. the system. So we have covered some fantastic things, but there's still so much I want to talk more about and questions that are still lingering in my mind that like we what? need. So, I mean, I guess an obvious one for me is, as a marine biologist and someone who spends a lot of time in the oceans, is fishing and, and how we're getting food from the oceans. You know, we've got billions of people who rely on fish for protein, but we're doing a very good job of not harvesting that should be a renewable resource from from the seas. We Mm. should be able to feed the planet Mm. with fish, but we're not doing it very smartly. One thing I really wanted to look at was homes, houses generally. Like, obviously, we all need one, but we use a huge amount of our energy, both building and maintaining and living in our homes. And there are a million different ways to do it better. And I really want to find out more about them. There are so many interesting ones. I want to know more about how the green growing things on our planet, how we could find some really interesting solutions to the problems through plants, whether it's mimicking their photosynthesis to harness energy. How could my phone photosynthesize so I don't have to charge it up? That'd be great. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. And talking of phones, Mm. something close to my heart, because, okay, I'm going to confess, I still don't have a smartphone, partly... Because you're a uh, No, <laughs> possibly no. Partly because I'm such an eco warrior, I am really concerned about the stuff that's inside a phone and the fact that we chuck so many of them away and we're not reusing the metals and these precious, valuable materials yes. and minerals. Um, clearly, like technology is so huge, and we've got these incredibly powerful machines in our pockets and in our lives. I guess the question is, is it going to lead us to greener lives or are we kind of being led into bigger problems that we don't realise? You know, where is this stuff coming from? Do we really have to mine it from the bottom of the ocean, which is what people are talking about at the moment? So that's it for this episode of Earth Unscrewed. If you've enjoyed listening to the series as much as we've enjoyed making it, please don't forget to give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts as it helps other people to find the show. And if you're interested in the themes and topics that we've covered in this episode, then don't forget to check out our website. We'll put a link to it in the description for this episode. So for now, from me, Shay Rhodes. And me, Helen Scales. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.